Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and we are right in the middle of a great study on the spiritual gifts. I've met so many Christians who are afraid that they have no giftings. And I think so often it's because they think they don't have any talents. Well, friends, the spiritual gifts and natural talents are completely different things. And in our text today, we're going to see out of 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4, 5, and 6, how the entire Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are involved in the giftings of God's people. That means that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have deposited such incredible things into you as a Christ follower. We're just going to take our time and unpack these few phrases of Scripture that are absolutely packed with life-changing truth. I'm so glad you're joining me today on this episode of Awaken to Grace. First Corinthians chapter 12. We are in a series right now on spiritual gifts. Today I want us to look at only verses 4, 5, and 6. Today we're going to talk about the source of spiritual gifts. Where do giftings come from? If you missed last Sunday, we talked about the grace of the gifts. My argument from Scripture, my premise, was that if the word gifts, which in the Greek means charisma, and the word grace is charis, the root of charisma, my point was, 1 Corinthians 1, 4, my point is that if the grace of God brings you salvation, then the grace of God also brings the gifts. So today, if you are born again, if you are a saved Christian by the grace of God, if you can say with confidence, my salvation is not through me or my good works or my goodness, my salvation is solely by the grace of God, then my argument to you is you cannot say then, I'm not gifted. Not one Christian can say, I'm without spiritual gifts. Now, you may look at natural talents. You may look at natural abilities and say, well, I may not have this talent or that talent. But see, the Bible, as we saw last week, 1 Corinthians 12, 1, doesn't say now concerning natural abilities. No, it says now concerning spiritual gifts. So my point is, if you are saved and the grace of God has brought to you so great a salvation, well then, my friend, that same grace of God has also deposited into you such good and great spiritual gifts. Every one of you. We're going to help you find them. Today we're going to talk about the source Last week, because we dealt with grace, we called it the grace of spiritual gifts. Today, we're going to talk about the source of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts. 
but the same what? The same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them in everyone. Now, if you're born again today, you're part of that everyone that God is empowering. You're part of that collective group of everyone. So I want us to focus today on where do our spiritual gifts, where do they source out of? Because in our very humanistic culture, we have to understand our spiritual gifts are not sourced out of us. They are not sourced out of our own abilities, out of our own strength, out of our own interests, out of our own desires, out of our own talents. Just as salvation, what does the Bible say about salvation, by the way? It says that God is the author and the finisher of our salvation. Is that what it says? In other words, God is the initiator and God is the perfecter. Our salvation beginning to end is in Jesus Christ, not ourselves. So it is with the giftings. If your, if your spiritual giftings are sourced out of the Spirit, out of the Son, and out of the Father, they're not sourced out of you. So you and I have got to get out of our thinking, out of our minds, that our spiritual gifts are dependent Upon us. They're not. They're sourced out of the blessed trinity. Does that make sense to everyone today? So verse number four. Let's, these three verses are so packed. Full of life changing truth. Let's just unpack them together. And let's see what the Lord will say to us today. Verse four. So there are varieties of gifts. I want to answer a couple of questions today. Number one. I want to answer the question. Do Christians only have one gift or are there multiple gifts within you? I want to answer the question, why are there so many gifts mentioned in the Bible? There, you know, according to some people, there's 12. According to some people, there's 19. And then according to others, there are multitudes of gifts that Scripture is not intended when it lists the gifts. And I'm of this thinking as well. I think that when Scripture lists the gifts... It is not an exhaustive list. There are multitudes of gifts. I think if Scripture was, <clears throat> I think, and, and, and you know me, I hold Scripture the, in, in the highest of regard, right? I don't preach anything but Scripture. I listened to a preacher last Tuesday on my Alexa device, and he taught a fine lesson I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't a sermon. He, he made a couple of really good points that I thought were good. But he never used the scripture. Never used the text. All he did was tell illustrations. Tell stories. He never used the scripture to the end of his second point. And even then he just half quoted it. There's no power to it. So, so don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. I have the highest regard of Scripture, and it's the only thing I teach. I don't teach from lectures. I don't teach from, uh, from inspiring, uh, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, what, what's the word I'm trying to find? 
when people get a speech. I don't preach from speeches. I heard a preacher one time give a sermon series out of the greatest speeches of history. What? Stick with the word. Amen? It's the only thing that's transformational. As deeply as I believe in the sticking with Scripture, here's my point. I think there are multitudes of gifts, and I don't think they are limited only to what's in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And the main reason I don't think that is because even that, there's some overlap in them, but they're two different lists. I think if Scripture intended to be completely exhaustive in those two lists, I think it would make that clear. And uh, So there are multitudes of gifts. Multitudes. But here is my point today. Why are there so many different types of gifts? The Bible says there are varieties. There are various. There are different kinds of gifts. Here's the number one reason. Because there are so many different needs. There are so many needs among humanity. There's so many needs that you and I are to be serving That it takes the body of Christ equipped with numerous gifts within us. It takes that to meet all of the various needs that are around us. Now, can a Christian have multiple gifts? Absolutely. Now, not one Christian possesses every single gift. You'd be so puffed up with pride, it'd be ridiculous. But does every but do Christians have multiple gifts? Absolutely. There are multiple things within you that God desires to use. Now remember, we said the word gifts means grace. So according to this, there are various gifts. There are varieties of gifts, but who gives them? The Holy Spirit. Now let's talk about this for just a moment because <clears throat> this is very important. If you pay close attention to 1 Corinthians 12, here's what you'll notice. You'll notice the Holy Spirit mentioned over and over in just that short section. I think Paul is making very clear these gifts cannot operate. They cannot be functioning within us without the great help of the Holy Spirit. A church cannot minister out of the giftings without the aid, without the help, without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And as you've heard me say time and time again, you know what the danger is for those of us who we have been in church for a really long time, the danger for us is that we feel like we have the definition of so many things, right? Because we've experienced this or that. And so someone may have been in one type of church setting and they go, they read, oh, okay, it's given by the Spirit. I know what that is. I understand that. And then someone raised in a completely opposite church setting may read the same verse and go, oh, yes, yes, okay, the Holy Spirit. I've got that. I know exactly what that means. What I want to encourage our church to always pursue in spiritual matters is not what our background is, not what we have been brought up in or maybe what we've seen demonstrated. What does the Bible teach? That's what I want to know. 
You know, there are many people that in their head, they have an idea of what prayer is because they've experienced one way of praying or another. But is it true New Testament praying? See, I, want, I, I, don't, want to just, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't want to just interpret the Bible based on what I've experienced. I want to interpret the Bible in light of truth. And so when the Bible says... I need the Holy Spirit in these gifts. What does that look like for you? You know, I thought that song that they did this morning, Available. Well, I thought that's so powerful. Because do you know what I think it means for the Holy Spirit to be incredibly active in your life? It means to be yielded to Him. To be sensitive to Him. To be submitted to Him. To be led and guided by Him. And when you... When you are living a life that is activated, active in the Holy Spirit, then he's going to use these beautiful giftings in your life. There are going to be a variety. There's going to be various, many different kinds of gifts working in your life. Now notice what he says next. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord, <clears throat> who is now here? He's referencing Christ. Do you find it as interesting as I do that when this short three-verse section that's telling us where the source of gifts come, it talks about the Trinity? That 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 fascinates me. <clears throat> it tells me that the giftings of God are so important in the view of God, in the eyes of God. That the Trinity's involved in it. Now let's unpack this a little bit. Well, what do we mean by Trinity? Some of you may not know that term. We believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that there are three, yet one. In other words, in the entirety of all the universe, there is only one God, and it is Father, Son, Holy Spirit in perfect unity. Someone said one time, very wisely, they said, if you try to explain the Trinity, you may lose your mind, but you try to explain it away, and you may lose your soul. That's a very wise statement. So the Bible tells us a great deal. If you go back to Genesis, it teaches us, uh, I mean, if you remember, God says, let us make man in our own image. Who is he speaking to? He's certainly not speaking to angels. Because angels are created beings. One third of them fell. Not speaking to angels. Who is he speaking to? Elohim. The name, the word for God there in Elohim in Hebrew has plurality mentioned to it. In Isaiah 6 when he's hearing God say, Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? Who is he speaking to? The Trinity. And over and over throughout the Bible, just because, and see, critics of the Trinity, this is what they'll say. Well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. But friends, just because our word Trinity is not in the Bible doesn't mean the concept's not there and isn't taught. For that matter, the word Bible is not in the Bible. So that's a bad logic. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor this week. And we were talking about end time events and everything that's happening in the world right now. And we were talking about our views of 
end time events. And he kind of chuckled and said, you know, I don't know two people who think alike when it comes to end time events. And I laughed and said, I agree. And, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, your personal opinion, do you believe in a rapture of the church? To my surprise, he didn't. Which there are many in the church who don't believe that. But when I asked him, why do you not believe in this doctrine of imminency that Christ says, I'm coming as a thief in the night. Be ready, be prepared, be watching, be waiting. You don't know the day or the hour that I will come. I said, how can you not? And I was stunned. He said, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Friends, just because one of our English words is not in the Bible doesn't mean the concept is not there and not taught. The Greek term would be harpazo, the catching up, the catching away. And as I watch world events unfold and as I watch what's going on in our country, friends, the Bible tells us exactly what to do. Look up. For your redemption draws nigh. But see, for our brothers and sisters who don't believe in a harpazo, they don't believe in a catching away, they don't believe that in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. They don't, they don't believe that to my brothers and my sisters who are, who are wonderful people, but to those who don't believe that, my question is, where's the imminency of Christ? Like my precious pastor friend who, you know, he believes that we'll go through the entirety of the tribulation. He believes that Christ will come at the end and there's only the the second coming of Christ. And we'll endure the entire seven years of the great tribulation, the three and a half years of the great tribulation and the whole seven years of the tribulation. So my question is, brother, then where's the imminence? Where is that Christ will come at any moment? Be ready, be prepared. By that biblical interpretation, well, Christ isn't going to come back until the Antichrist comes and you know, all this stuff happens in Israel and the covenant in Israel and all of this. So, so why, why be watching and waiting? It doesn't make biblical sense to me in that way. Whereas all throughout the Bible, it teaches I'm coming quickly. I'm coming as a thief in the night. Be watching, be waiting, be prepared. You see what I'm saying? I'm so far out in a rabbit trail, aren't I? Can I share one other thing with you I didn't see until this week? You're not in a hurry, are you? Half of you is fasting right now, right? So it's not like you're going to lunch. You're you're in this big uh, first fruits fast for the first of the year. So you're not, you're not, you ain't going to the buffet. Anyways. People ask, just two seconds and I'll move on to verse 5. People ask, will we see the Antichrist in our lifetime? Will the church experience any of the Antichrist? 2 Thessalonians 2 answers that question. When Paul writes to the Thessalonian believers, they're shaken. Read it, 2 Thessalonians 2. They're worried. They're shaken. They're upset. Someone has told them, you've missed the coming of Christ. And Paul does this great teaching and explains to them, you've not missed the coming of Christ. Many things have to happen until then. 
And then this man, this antichrist, this man of lawlessness. And what is America getting set up for right now? Come on now. Don't let these things frighten you, church. Everything is right on schedule. Do you understand? I don't care if you're mad over the election or glad over the election. I don't care. Scripture shall be fulfilled. And see, when you read in Revelation, during the tribulation, why am I going so far down this path? Is it okay if we just go a little ways down here? When the angel in Revelation, during the seven-year tribulation, which is the most detailed, chronically detailed time in history. It tells us so much. And when he steps one mighty foot into the Euphrates and one mighty foot on land. You know what the scripture says? He was prepared for that year, for that month, for that day, for that hour. Everything is right on track. What did we say? When there's chaos on earth, there's control in heaven. Don't be frightened. Don't be, don't be alarmed. Don't be shaken. And so Paul writes and he says, This man of lawlessness is going to come. But see, there's a problem. And do you know what the problem is? It's right there in your Bible. There is a restraining happening on the earth. And what is the restraining? It's the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit within His church. Our prayers and the working of the Holy Spirit is restraining evil on the earth. So will we experience the Antichrist? No. Read what it says. When the restraining is removed, then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. When's that restraining going to be removed? When the harpazo, the catching away, the rapture of the church, when that takes place, then the man of lawlessness, that great antichrist, then he will be revealed. He's not going to be revealed until the restraining is removed, which I believe is the Holy Spirit within us. See, do you understand that out of all humanity, out of all of time and all human, out of all all of history. We the church were the only ones that the Holy Spirit will ever indwell. And that's why the Holy Spirit, that's why the church is so special. That's why it's so special that you have the giftings of the Holy Spirit within you. There we go. Now we're getting back. Now we're getting back. <laughs> we took the scenic route, didn't we? Hallelujah. But see, that's why it's so special that the Holy Spirit indwells you. That's why your prayers matter right now. That's why as we watch events unfold and craziness happen, that's why as evil tries its best to unleash its full power on the earth, your prayers is what is restraining it. But there's going to come a day that just as God shut the door of the ark, the door of salvation will be shut. And the church, Harpazo, will be gone. Will you be left? 
Are you a podcast listener? We cannot thank our audience enough for those who are subscribing to Awakened to Grace with Chad Roberts. If you have never checked out our podcast, we want you to take a moment and wherever you get your podcast, look up Awakened to Grace and follow the weekly content that comes straight out of the pulpit of Preaching Christ Church.